Hi everyone, welcome to the GMAT show, a GMAT club podcast where we talk about all the things related to GMAT. We conduct sessions on GMAT prep, GMAT test taking strategies, GMAT debriefs from successful GMAT test takers and also give free advice to our community. My name is Nikhil and I'm the director of MBA forums here at GMAT club. Today's session is about sleep habits and exercises that affect your GMAT exam performance. Along with a solid GMAT study plan, adequate sleep and exercises also contribute greatly in enhancing your GMAT. On the other hand, sleep deprivation can have a negative effect on your test scores. We will also talk with a sleep expert and a fitness coach to understand what it takes to make your mind functioning better to maximize the test performance. Charles, also known as GMAT Ninja, will be your host for this session. Take it away, Charles. All right. With that, um, we are going to bring on two of my very favorite people. So Kyle Crancher, trainenable.com. So personal trainer, does a lot of online work, degree in psychology. Um, we brought him in at GMAT Ninja a couple of years ago just because, um, you know, we, we wanted somebody who kind of help our students think about how to integrate exercise in their lives and how that would affect their performance. And, and we know that people who are unhealthy don't perform as well. We all feel that in our daily lives when we pay attention, but want to start thinking about how can we provide that more to our students and what kind of information we provide to people who are trying to be better and have their minds function better. So Kyle Crancher, um, our favorite personal trainer, and Shannon Glenn, sleep specialist. Um, so there are ways to get a whole lot better at sleeping. Um, but something we see all the time, people say, and sometimes it's linked to anxiety, sometimes it isn't, um, couldn't sleep the night before my test, did badly. Don't sleep in general, did badly. Well, I'm fine on four hours a night. That doesn't go well either. So, all right. So we've got about uh, we've got about 40 minutes for this, which is awesome. Kyle, I'm going to start with you because I, I think, um, you know, the, the idea that there's a conversation about a very specific standardized test and we're talking to an exercise guy, um, I think strikes people as kind of counterintuitive. And I, I would just love to hear your thoughts kind of from your point of view about, um, you know, what it takes to get your mind functioning better and what kind of exercise helps, how much exercise, what do people really need if their goal is to maximize mental performance? Yeah, I think what I experience a lot in my 10 years of coaching is that we tend to overcomplicate exercise in general. And if you're not dead on the floor, you know, about to pass out at the end of your workout, you didn't do it right. But really what we're trying to do is just put ourselves in increasingly uh, more challenging circumstances. So that way you get used to having physical and uh, emotional, you know, uh, even mentally engaging challenges. So that when you're faced with it out of the blue versus planned, you know what this feels like, you know that you've had the experience and you've kind of been battle tested before. So I always say start with whatever you feel comfortable doing. And one of the most underrated versions of fitness is just walking, you know, getting outside, making sure that you're getting a little actual physical um, separation from whatever task you were just doing. Like, I don't know, studying for 24 hours for a big test, something like that. Um, it helps kind of get your blood flowing because your brain is obviously fed by you know, nutrients that can be pushed around by just some really gentle activity. So that's generally where I like to start people is just do what you can with what you have right now. And I think everybody has the ability to just go outside and walk in the sun for 20 minutes. Awesome. Thank you, Kyle. And and is it, do you think that more intense exercise helps more? Like if somebody's just doing walking, is that good, but more is better? Does it depend on the person? 
Yeah, I think there is some respect that needs to be paid to, um, I, I wish there was a better way to frame this, but like, have you earned the right to do more intense exercise? Because if I'm going from the couch to something super heavy or super intense for a long duration, that could very much be doing more damage than it is good. So I want to gradually expose myself to um, the right dose of intensity and duration. And that's all kind of dependent on, you know, your exercise history. If you have any medical issues, um, what style of training you're doing, because just take for an example, if you're an elite power lifter who is supposed to perform at three barbell lifts versus somebody who is training for a marathon, the way that you're going to perform at those two tasks is drastically different because your test is different. So the training really is built around um, your goals, basic lifestyle factors, um, yeah, your comfort in certain training methodologies. So I wish I could give you a better answer other than it depends. <laughs> awesome. And Shannon, I'll turn it over to you. Can, can you say a little bit about how, like, I think we all know, right? I mean, there, there's kind of the, I feel like I've been nagging everybody a lot in these three hours about kind of how to study and how to think about certain question types. I think sleep sometimes feels that way to us, right? Like we all know, right? It starts to feel naggy, get more sleep, get more sleep, right? Or sure. families might yell at us. Um, so I guess, can, can you tell us a little bit about what's going on in our bodies? Like we know we should get more sleep, but mm -hmm. how bad how bad is it if I get six hours a night? Yeah, good is it? I feel okay. Well, it's a good question. Um, before I answer that question, one thing and just the few things that Kyle has said that I know, Kyle, you'll agree with me on is that uh, just how connected sleep and, and exercise are. Um, and like everything you're saying, Kyle, actually helps you sleep better, too. And I know better sleep also helps you exercise and move better. But like 20 minutes of um, outside time in the sun is probably my number one tip to adults who are battling insomnia um, because that that there's so much research out there that says like the more you can move your body uh ideally even with some sunshine exposure too the better you're probably going to sleep um so just a, a few things that you said are, are so so true um when it comes to sleep and same thing even going with people in different lifestyles um and have they have different sleep needs so to to answer uh your question a little further charles on what does it look like? So recommended amount of sleep is seven to nine hours for all adults. Um, adult being considered like 18 to 60. Things do change as you get a little older. Um, there are There is a very, very small, um, like less than 5% uh, part of our population that can actually healthy function survive on six hours of sleep. But that's 5% of our population. So 95% of our population uh, cannot do that. And that even being more specifically true to most of the people that you're speaking to who are studying for big exams, they're very likely going to be in a younger age group, um, you know, 30 and younger, and their need for sleep is going to be even higher. So when you're functioning on less than seven hours of sleep or six hours of sleep, as you mentioned, um, what, what starts, there, there's a few things that start to happen. Uh, the brain gets hit a little harder, a little quicker, um, which again, kind of going back to studying and test taking is really problematic um, because when we don't get the, the, enough sleep for what our body, our body needs, 
uh, big things don't happen, such as the, uh, the toxins that our body just accumulates, our brain accumulate all day long. When we're sleeping, our brain has the ability to clean those out. Um, and those continue to build day after day after day. And so if you're not getting the good sleep that you need, which means quantity too, right? Quality and quantity are sort of the name of the game when it comes to sleep. Um, quality is, they're both equally important. Um, the right quality, the right quantity. Um, and so when you're not sleeping enough, those toxins are continuing to build up. Um, which can really uh, cause a lot of problems for us. And um, big one is it can impair our cognitive functioning. And so um, what research has found is that if you are depriving yourself of, of sleep night after night, the cognitive impairment is equal to that of someone being intoxicated. Um, for some people, they can experience that after a day or two. Also kind of what, to what Kyle alluded to, everybody's a little different. Um, my sleep needs are different than Kyle's sleep needs. Kyle's sleep needs are different than Charles. Uh, and so when I'm working with people, that's one of the first things we really kind of hone in on is what works for you. Um, because I'm not going to say to you and hammer in your head, eight hours, eight hours, eight hours, because I, I agree with you, Charles. I think that really can increase the anxiety for people around sleep and then make everything worse. A big thing I'm working on with people when I'm working with them privately is their mindset. Mindset plays a huge role in how you're sleeping. Meaning if you think you're a bad sleeper, if you hate sleep, you don't have, in, you know, there's just negative feelings towards sleep. It actually makes sleep bad. Um, and so that's the first thing I like to look at is what, how many hours of sleep do you actually need? And then we go from there. So for somebody like you, Charles, if you're like, I actually pretty regularly function fine on seven, then a night here or there a six hours, not like before a night for a test, not a good idea, but is it the end of the world? Maybe not for somebody like me, I need eight and a half hours and I don't do very well on less. And so uh, more than like one night of six hours, I really feel the effects of that because I I'm, I'm cutting myself two and a half hours short, which is a lot. Um, and so the next day, my brain really, I don't feel on my game. Um, and I don't feel like I'm, my thoughts can be jumbled a couple days of that. And my thoughts can really feel weird. Um, and I can just not be as sharp or clear, uh, all those things really important for test taking. Um, and so cognitive function is something there's a lot of research out on that when you are cutting yourself short on sleep, you are not going to be thinking as clearly as you would be if you had gotten the right amount of sleep that you need. Um, the other thing that, that can happen when you're not sleeping well is your memory. And there's a ton of research out there on memory consolidation. So when you're sleeping, what your brain does is it takes kind of all of your day's events and experiences and learning and says, this is important, this isn't. And so it takes those short-term, what happened today, memories and puts them into your long-term bank so that you can access them at a later time. And so if you're not getting good enough sleep, that memory consolidation isn't happening. And so it won't allow for you to put those memories into long-term to access later if you're not getting good sleep. I was actually just reading a research article the other day that was saying that like, if a person, let's say a person has a test on Monday or Thursday, sorry, and they start studying for it on Monday and they, they study every night, but they're only getting like five hours of sleep each night. It, they might as well have not even studied because going into the Thursday test, the information that they should be retaining from their Monday night studying is going to be gone. 
it, the chances of them being able to access it are really small. And that's just from three nights of sleep deprivation. So um, that can kind of tell you how, how important the, the memory consolidation is when you're sleeping well. Uh, and obviously super important for every aspect of life. But if you're getting ready to prepare for something really big, like uh, a, a big test, um, it is going to make a big difference. And, and Shannon, just make sure I, I caught that right. So you're talking about research that basically shows that in essence, the, the effects of sleep deprivation counteract the, the positive effects of studying. Yes. So whatever you spent that time studying is wiped out, maybe and then some, because you're kind of your, your memory is so diminished and your performance is so diminished that the stuff you learn just isn't usable. Correct. And it's not going to be just memory consolidation that you can't access. It's going to be your cognitive functioning too, right? Like they go hand in hand. And so not only will you struggle to remember it, you're also not thinking clearly. Um, and for any of you that have had either experiences in your life or in many of our cases, children, um, that uh, when they're first born, you immediately get put into sleep deprivation. You know firsthand what that feels like. For some of us, that might be the only time um, that you've experienced that. I for better or worse, have had jobs in my life um, that have had me up at night. Had to, I've had to work at night. Um, and I I remember, and I've never been able to do them very long term because uh, I really couldn't get the shift worker lifestyle and sleeping down. And it, I, the next day I would just, or a couple days in, I would just be a wreck. I mean, I was like, I can't, I don't know what's up, what's down. Um, I feel so confused. Um, I, want to, I want to start talking a little bit about anxiety and kind of the connection between body and anxiety. Um, Kyle, in particular, I, you know, mo I, th this number is kind of more from just anecdotal experience, you know, working with students that I, I think about 60% of GMAT test takers we meet suffer from pretty serious test anxiety enough to affect their performance. Um, I think it's kind of from your experience dealing with clients who maybe aren't taking a test or whatever, but maybe come in with some sort of, you know, underlying anxieties or stress in their life. Um, I guess kind of two questions. What, what do you see happening as they kind of get their exercise routine kind of optimized for their needs? Like, like what does that path to improvement look like? How long does it take? Um, and, and what sorts of exercise regimens get them there to kind of alleviating that stress? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's helpful to get kind of like a working operation of what is an anxiety, right? So I've always explained anxiety as general worrying about something that hasn't yet happened, right? And with that, it takes place in the body in very like real physiological ways. You get cold sweats, you get the chills, you get um, jittery, you have increase in respiration, you might, you know, like I said, start sweating and heart racing, you can't talk. All of those things are your body's fight or flight response turning on. So when you are starting to experience this onset of anxiety, it's useful to find strategies to dissipate this physical um, heightening of your, yeah, your senses kind of taking over. So when we go about producing an exercise program for somebody, first of all, we need to make sure that the base of the pyramid is solid, which is what we call our basic lifestyle guidelines. So how much are you sleeping? Like Shannon has been doing a great job of dropping some serious knowledge bomb on um, what time are you going to bed at? Are you getting up at the same time? Uh, are you having a good quality of sleep? Are you eating well, right? Because that's really going to prop everything else up, right? If I'm killing myself in the gym seven days a week, but then I'm sleeping four hours, I might as well have not have gone to the gym at all because I'm not giving my body a chance to recover. So 
when it comes to designing a program, we want to look at things that actually take place outside of the gym first. So once those things are kind of put into play, then we can start going about addressing the actual exercise portion of it. And that, like I said, really depends on what the person is currently doing, what they have done for exercise in the past, where they want to take their exercise. Because if somebody just wants to move for an hour, three times a week, and they want to feel better generally um, with dissipating some of that anxiousness that they built up through the week, that's going to be very different than if somebody's like, I would love to play major league baseball, right? Because then you're shifting it from, I want to do this to feel good and um, just move my body because I can, and it's for me, versus I want to take the way that my body functions to now turn it into a career and my livelihood is connected to my physical ability. So with that, again, the answer is it kind of depends. But generally, um, full body uh, exercises uh, two to three times a week if somebody's doing nothing is going to be plenty for them to see long-term progress. So if that answers your question, um, let me know. And if not, I'll go into that further. <laughs> it sounds like what you're saying, Kyle, is that um, it doesn't need to be, you know, I think we kind of imagine like, hey, I need to go be a meathead and go to the gym for an hour and a half a day, seven days a week. And I think the case you're making is that for somebody who's kind of struggling with their overall being and mental function and, and sleep for that matter, that maybe 20 minute walks three days a week or, you know, some like cardio or, or whatever it might be, even that much makes a difference towards sort of alleviating the stress and anxiety, kind of the buildup of, of you know, that set of toxins in your body. I get your mind away from all of the things you're worried about with work and studies. Is that Fair. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So we're, we're not about like slapping a bandaid on a bullet wound and hoping that it sticks. Right. So we're really trying to put in place uh, long-term adherence and that starts like very slow and incrementally giving you more and more to do. So just as an example, um, we have Johnny boy who comes in and he's sleeping three hours a night has maybe two meals a day that are like highly processed and he wants to get into working out going from no workouts a week to five. Right off the bat, I would say, hey, where our focus needs to be for now is getting you more sleep. Once we've shown that we can get into a pattern and we can adhere to going from three to four hours of sleep to five to seven consistently, you've proven that you're taking this serious, you want your well-being to be um, at the forefront of your mind. Now we can start layering things on top of that. So if somebody is anxious because of a test, there's plenty of things that we can do that is not study related um, that can help calm those feelings outside of that. And it's the same with exercise, right? Everyone is so hyper-focused on what happens in the gym that they neglect the 23 hours outside of the gym that has a huge impact on moving us forward, arguably even more so than the exercise itself. Exercise is honestly maybe 20% of it all but that's what's sexy, right? That's what goes on Instagram. That's what everybody shows. Like, look, I can squat 500 pounds. That's cool. But it's not as cool in, you know, the eyes of the mass population, like getting in bed at nine o'clock and waking up at 6 a.m. every single day of the week, regardless of whether you can sleep in on Saturday or Sunday, having circadian rhythms, you know, having your cortisol levels, um, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, mitigated by just getting sunlight through your retinas and getting sunlight on 50% of your skin for 15 to 20 minutes, you know, it's, it's little things like that. When they're all pointed in the same direction, you can make huge progress. Um, one of the questions that's kind of coming up is, 
you know, almost everybody watching, I'm sure, you know, everyone's trying to cram too many things into their lives, right? It's, it's um, people trying to get their MBAs or studying for something. They all have intense jobs for the most part. How do you go about changing those habits um, and changing your schedule to fit this stuff in? Um, and when should you study? So how do you balance if we're talking about, you know, work, exercise, um, sleep and study? How would you go about advising people on how to sort of figure out what that ultimate kind of optimal balance and schedule is? And then start with Shannon on that one. Uh, yeah, great question. Um, and, and also to, um, to talk what Kyle was talking about, um, a layered approach and making sleep changes is the way to go about it too. Um, and, and so if you are a person that is like the example Kyle gave, you are sleeping, you know, three hours a night. Yeah. Same thing that I'll do when I'm working with someone like that too, is like, I know I'm not going to jump you from three hours of sleep to eight within a week period. Cause I'd have to throw so much at you to do that. So we're going to try to have quick wins because our brains love those quick wins um, and, and, and get some, some success happening and then increase things from there. Uh, makes a really big difference for sure. When it comes to the, the timing and, and really the same would apply to what you're asking on when you're studying, um, thinking for ways to try to set people up for success um, the recommendation on like finding the right time to study as it relates to sleep is, is to first think about the, your body clock. So there's typically three kinds of body clocks that most of us have. Um, and that's a, an, an early bird or a morning bird, which many people know person who goes to bed early, wakes up early. Uh, then there's somebody kind of midday, which, you know, can be given lots of terms. The most common one, if we're thinking on animal line is like a lark. Um, and a lark is somebody who's going to go to bed um, before midnight, uh, probably somewhere between 10 and midnight, and then wake up mid-morning. So, um, you know, waking up somewhere around, let's say, 7 to 9 in the morning. So that's sort of your midday person. And then your night owl is typically somebody who isn't tired before midnight um, and needs to go to bed after midnight and wake up a little later. Society does not necessarily uh, cater very well to night owls, to be honest with you. Um, so especially as you become further in your adult life. Um, so that probably is the one that can be a little bit trickier. But but by figuring that out, then what you're going to be able to determine is when do I have my best period of alertness? When do I have the least amount of distractions? And what can I stay consistent with? And so from, from learning my body clock, then those three factors, what is the time that's right? So kind of, as you can imagine, an early bird is going to do their best studying in the morning. Um, and, and something, you know, like five to seven, five to 8am might be their ideal times. Now, if they're like, there's no way I can do that because I've, you know, I'm riding the train in the morning, it's crazy and chaotic, then we wouldn't even discuss that time because that wouldn't set them up for consist distractions and consistency. So they're really, there's a little bit of a bigger, bigger range that a, a person could work with. So like an early bird would be early morning to probably sometime in the afternoon. Uh, midday uh, lark person would probably do better with like mid afternoon studying would be best. A uh, night owl is going to do better in the evening is kind of the general rule. And so you kind of work with those and then you go to the person. And really, as as we're both alluding to, it is all very specific to the person, um, which is why some one on one work um, for people who are, are getting ready to do these these high functioning activities really can make make all the difference because figuring out for that person, OK, here's what you are. You're an early bird, but 
but we can't get you studying at, at five o'clock because you've got this going on. So when can we do it where it still works with your brain functioning and it's still going to be consistent and without the distractions. Um, so those are, those are, and that really can apply to a lot of things, you know, in life on when you're, when you're at your best, um, your body clock will, uh, impact and dictate a lot of that. Um, and so those are things that I would suggest that people look at to determine when they're going to be able to study. And then the name of the game with anything in life is to try to be as consistent with more consistent than not, you know, um, with it as you can. Yeah. I have a saying when clients first come to me is like, when, you know, everybody wants that quick fix. When's the best time to work out? And I always mm -hmm. tell them whenever you can. Right. So when, yeah. you know, you, you've summed it up great with, um, how are you, when are you going to have the most focus? When are you going to have the least distractions? When do you feel energized the most? And, you know, you did a good job of laying out the archetypes of the different people that you all encounter. And it, it comes with kind of a trial and error as well. Mm -hmm. You know, you might try studying in the morning and you're like, this is just not working for me. You know, the kids right. are screaming. I got to take them out to the bus or whatever. That's probably not a good way to go. Like mm -hmm. I had one client recently whose compliance was so far down. I reached out and it's like, Hey, what's going on? He's like, you know, mm -hmm. I know we agreed on our Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday schedule, but Tuesdays and Thursdays are my long days at work. And I just can't get the workout in on those days. And I'm like, then put them on other days. You know, if you are like the least likely to work out on your really heavy workload days, let's move them to another time. And he's like, Oh, I didn't even think about that. It's like, yeah, you, you know, we're trying to set you up for success, not for failure, you know? And like, that's where the incremental um, challenges come into play because if we go from zero workouts a week or zero study sessions, whatever you want to, you know, use the example with, and then you jump from zero to five, the first week you don't hit five sessions, you're going to chalk it up in your brain as a loss. And it's like, why even try and set up that possibility to begin with? Make it two, make it one, make it three, make it something that's achievable, but it's a step in the right direction. And then you use that momentum to continue on to other facets or to layer on top of that. So don't make your goals too ambitious right from the start. In other words, do something that you know is attainable, you can feel good about and start to build that kind of positive feedback loop. Right. And one of the things that I try and like differentiate a little more through verbiage is like, think of your, your goal as like, it's huge. It's audacious. You're, it's going to take you a lot of time to get there. You always want to kind of have that roadmap built out in a way, because you, you know where you're at right now, you know where you want to go, but then our objectives are smaller things along the way that keep us on track, but also um, they're smaller wins, right? So Objectives, small, lead us to the big goal. Goal is something huge that you've been working towards or will need to work towards for uh, a longer time frame. And before we get there, there's there's been a bunch of questions about um, yeah, kind of variance on sleep banking, right? So if I get a terrible night's sleep tonight, which guaranteed, <laughs> um, can I compensate for it later? So that's that's one version of the question. Related, mm -hmm. what about what about napping? So is you, you know what if I only get six hours at night, but I sleep you know, a little bit in the afternoon or something. Is that okay? Or does it need to be consistent, more consistent than that? Uh, I'm guessing that that question's to me. Um, <laughs> good question. So uh, again, going back to probably uh, overriding point that we both, we both agree on, it really does matter on the person. Um, for some people, napping is really good for them uh, and can, can be the difference in 
overall better sleep for other people, it's the exact opposite. So I'm really there's kind of napper myself. Yep. I, will, I like grumpy that I can't sleep more. So not in that yep. way. <laughs> yep. And so really there's kind of two ways to approach napping. When I work with a person, one of the num number one questions I ask them is, are you a napper? Can you nap? Because naps can be really, you can, there's a lot of advantages to them. And if I get an answer, just like Kyle said, most people know right away when they're, by the time they're adults, they know like, yes, napping is great for me. No, napping is terrible. I hate, I hate it. And so if I get a person that says they're terrible, then that's just, that's just taken out of the equation. It's just not a tool we're ever going to use. For somebody where napping is good, for myself, napping is 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 good. And something that's really interesting, um, gender-wise, women tend to be more prone to napping than men. Uh, we we tend to have a higher sleep need than men as well. Women tend to have a higher sleep need than men, and so that's likely part of the equation. But just as a kind of disclaimer, there. Um, so there's two really there's two naps that have been researched and two kinds of naps, I should say, that have been researched enough that. Are, are effective. One is the, the power nap, or it can be referred to as like a coffee nap. Um, the other is like the, the traditional restorative nap. So a power nap is like a 30 minute nap that you're going to take to bring down the tired a little bit um, and can be really advantageous or beneficial to do before something like taking a test, before something like a big um, uh, like activity physically that you need to do because what's going to happen is you're not going to get into um, your deep sleeps. You're going to stay on the superficial sleeps. So you're going to pull out of it quicker, but it's going to lower the fatigue or the, the sleep deprivation that you're feeling enough to then be able to perform. And so basically the way power naps work is you lay down and you set an alarm for 30 minutes. And so you're not worried about what you're doing, whether you're sleeping or you're just laying there, you're just, your body is resting for, for most people. If a power nap works, they'll typically sleep somewhere in the range of like 12 to 17 minutes of that time. Um, and those are ideal to, to try to do. We really don't want any buddy sleeping like within five hours of bedtime. So you wouldn't want to do that, uh, you know, five hours before your bedtime, it would need to be a little earlier in the day. But those are, are something that people really can take advantage of if napping is something that works for them. The other nap is a 90 minute full, full cycle nap. Um, those are recalled, those are what are referred to as restorative naps. Most of 18 to 60 year old adults don't need those on a regular basis. Um, but sometimes in the question that you asked, um, Charles, where you maybe really had a terrible night of sleep for whatever the reason, and you can, napping is something your body can do, then a restorative nap might be a good idea. Um, and usually doing those midday, kind of sometime after lunchtime or when it's suggested to do those. Like in, in well, I know there's people worldwide listening to this, but um, in other countries, not the US, um, US people don't, America doesn't tend to um, support napping as much as other countries. Uh, but a lot of countries will have siesta time after lunch on a daily basis where it's like you've got you've just eaten lunch. Now you can just go have downtime. And it's not abnormal for them to just go take a nap uh, during that time. That's because that's kind of ideal time for the body to do that is is um, after after lunch, a lot of cultures outside the U.S., it's also common to go to bed a little later and wake up a little later, like their society just does things later. Um, and so then the nap even makes more sense than in the U.S. where that's typically not the case. Um, so that's so having nap being 
a, a way to make up sleep. It really only is if your body that works for your body. There's growing research out there on like, can you catch up on missed sleep? And the answer to that is becoming no. For a long time, we thought maybe you could, um, but it, 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 the, could you feel like if, for example, you, um, staying up for 24 hours you, you, within a few days, you're going to feel better, right? Cause essentially you're going to get caught up or get back on track, but like, can you actually remove the, the hours of sleep deprivation and bring yourself back down to like neutral? Probably not. So that then brings the big, big thing on consistency, uh, trying to get as much sleep as you need and can on a more regular basis. I want to ask you too. So we actually uh, plan to bring a nutritionist on in this panel as well, but she she couldn't make it at, at this particular time. But I wonder if either of you have any thoughts on on diet and and exercise and sleep. Um, and and I realize that you know Kyle, especially for you, it's like people with different physical goals. It's like, well, hey, I want to be a bodybuilder. Well, okay, that's that's one set of dietary needs. But for people who are exercising more for their overall well being and their mental function, how how would you like them to think about diet? What what are the small changes that you think, uh, let's say, most people you know, would benefit from, from putting into their lives. Yeah. I think a lot of what our society has kind of taken us away from is having consistency in our schedules. You know, one day might be entirely different from the next. And within that, it's hard to get not only consistent meal times, but also, um, meals that have enough nutrients to support the level of activity we're trying to sustain for long periods of time. So it, you know, again, it's one of those, it depends answers, but if somebody is, you know, trying to lose weight, it makes sense that we're a little more mindful of what we're putting into our body and the amount. Just conversely, as if somebody is trying to gain muscle mass, you want to make sure that you're not under eating and you're having adequate, uh, yeah, fuel to make sure that you're gaining muscle or gaining mass in general. So I would say find some staple meals that are easy for you to um, whip together real quick or to meal prep. Uh, meal prepping has like changed my life because during the week, you know, there'll be some days that I'm working for 10 to 14 hours. And when I go home at the end of the day, I know my likelihood of making a nutritious meal that I actually enjoy after being on the floor for 14 hours, um, that's not going to happen. So if I take a couple hours out of my weekend, let's say on the high end, three hours, but I've made, you know, four meals that I can dish out for not only lunches, but also for um, dinners when I come home on those late evenings, that's going to set me up for success to uh, make sure that I'm not skipping any meals and starting off at a detriment and also, yeah, just getting in some healthy foods. Shannon, any thoughts on diet and sleep and, and kind of things that simple things that people can do to kind of help optimize their sleep by not making, let's say, major dietary mistakes? Yeah, good question. Um, so yes, for sure, there is um, just just as, as, as Kyle said, it, it can depend on the person, um, for sure. But making sure that when, when I'm seeing somebody privately, um, I do have them like give me a week food log so that I can just take a look at what they're, what they're eating. And, and I say to them right out of the gate, like, I'm not, I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not here to, you know, put you on a meal plan or anything like that at all. But what I'm looking for is 
consistency in like how, how you're eating, what, what you're eating, uh, and, and the timing of when you're eating, because those things will all influence sleep. And so, uh, with everything, you know, our bodies like consistency. So with eating, it would be the same. And so is this person, somebody that's eating consistently three meals a day, is this food processed food or is it actually, you know, healthy, um, food, plant, plant-based food that, um, <clears throat> is going to fuel the body. And then I also am typically looking at like sugar content too, particularly in the evening, um, because that's definitely not going to help their help their sleep needs. Um, but sleep just like uh, exercise is really a it's a 24 hour thing, meaning like what you're doing during the day with yourself will totally impact how you sleep. Um, and, and sleep is often a symptom of things you're not that you maybe probably need to address more so than the sleep. And so eat, diet nutrition can definitely be one of those things. If a person's diet, um, you know, is overly processed, uh, or one client I actually very recently had, um, was just really rigid. Um, her diet was so strict in the foods that she allowed herself to have, um, that I was very concerned that she was undernourished. Um, and that that was potentially part of the issue too, that we needed to discuss, like, based on the type of eating that you like to do, how can we incorporate a little bit more? And, and one thing that can be, uh, really helpful, especially for younger people, younger, I'm meaning like under, under 30, 35, uh, can be like a, a snack in the evening. And so we don't ever want somebody eating like right up to bedtime. Cause that's not necessarily great for our sleep. Um, but if you're a person, let's say that goes to bed at 11 and you ate dinner at five or six, you probably don't want to go all night without any food, go, and then you're just going to go to bed. You probably need a snack a couple hours ahead of time. So I usually like to suggest, especially with men, um, like a protein snack, having that a couple hours before bedtime, lots of research in that, that that can help pr produce better sleep. Um, so that's something, something that I usually suggest quantity does matter. I don't want them to go gorge a huge, gigantic meal. I want them to just have something light because we don't ever want people going, we don't want them to go to bed hungry and we don't want them to go to bed super full. It's kind of that happy medium that you want people to be in because that's going to promote the best sleep, um, overall. Awesome. Thank you both. So we are starting to run down, uh, to the end of our time for this hour. Um, I, we're we're getting some interesting questions about kind of psychology and sleep and kind of the 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 feedback loop of insomnia and worrying about the test, stressing about that. I would love to get into that more with both Kyle and Shannon because I I, I think you both have interesting takes on that kind of thing. Kyle and Shannon, where do we find you too? So if anybody's watching this and wants to learn more about you, um, how do they find you and and what kind of work do you do with with clients? Yeah, go ahead, Shannon. Uh, so you can find me at, um, sleepwellsleepspecialists.com. I get people though, that come to me who are taking prescription sleep medications and they, they want to stop. Um, and they know it's not good for them long-term and they know they need to get off of them. And so that can be part of my protocol too, where I'm weaning them off of that and, and bringing them to natural sleep. That's the ultimate goal is to get my clients to the best natural sleep. That's going to work for them that they can maintain. Uh, it looks a little different with every client I work with, but ultimately that's what I'm, what I'm trying to do. Awesome. Yeah. You can find me at uh, trainenable.net. So T-R-A-N-A-N-D-A-B-L-E.net. 
Um, you can also search that same name, Train Enable, on YouTube or Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and all of those things. I'm even on TikTok, which I feel so old going on that app, but here we are. Um, so yeah, so my model is primarily working uh, remote, so everything is app-based. We'll do um, a series of initial consults to see where you're at, where do you want to go, what are some uh, roadblocks that you've identified in your own life. Maybe we'll uncover some more through these series of consults. And then we'll put together an exercise program for you that's catered uh, around your frequency of workouts, what equipment you have available. I'd say like 90% of my clients work out at home with whatever they have there. It's awesome. I love it. Uh, Kyle, thank you so much. Kyle Crancher, trainenable.net. Shannon Glenn, Sleep Well Sleep Specialists. Um, I put the links in the chat, but you can also find them through me, uh, come to gmanager.com, got their bios up. Message me, I'll put you in touch absolutely anytime. Thank you both so much for doing this. Um, and yeah, thank thanks you. once again. Yeah, you're very welcome. It was fun. Yeah, yeah thank you.